Hello, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday, the 17th of June. We are on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 till 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, we were joined, as always, by Justin Digger-Calvary, talking about which plants need a certain amount of chill hours in the winter. He also reminisced about his time in the Community Cup. The Velvet-voiced actor Gillian Murray joined us to chat about her star performance in the year of magical thinking. We also heard about some of Bobby's unhappy neighbours and the tactics they used to draw that to her attention. Also, science writer Diani Lewis dropped by with her new book, Unvax, Trust Truth and the Rise of Vaccine Outrage. Irvi Majumda was our Friday funny bugger and she told us about how her dad is uh, dealing with sickness by choosing to be busier than ever. Dr Jen gave us the weird science of indecision. And Bobby hates massages because she's strange. And so she talks about <laughs> what she does when she gets a voucher for that. But we kick off the podcast with some trash talk between Rock Dog coach Kylie Aldist and Megahertz spiritual leader Paulie P ahead of Sunday's Community Cup. Triple R. The greatest event on Melbourne's cultural and sporting calendar, the Recklink Community Cup, returns to Vic Park this Sunday with the Mighty Megahertz taking on the Ruthless Rock Dogs amid a killer music lineup. And ahead of the Epic Rumble, we're joined by Triple R broadcaster, long term player and Megahertz spiritual leader, Paulie P, along with legendary muse and coach of the Dirty Rock Dogs, Kylie Aldous. <laughs> Welcome both of you to Breakfasters. Thank you. Thanks. Less of the dirty thanks. <laughs> well, you are outnumbered, Kylie. Um, it's been stacked. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, how are we feeling about the big day? Oh, it's very nervous times a few days before the Community Cup. It's it's just you're ready for it to happen. You're waiting for all of the people to get into the gate and be seated or standing, whatever they do, yeah. and just wait for the megahertz to run out to our theme song. <laughs> and then the crowd goes wild and then the rest of the day is just a blur. <laughs> yeah, the crowd goes mild. Well, I'd be nervous if I was you too because I've been to training and I've seen the rock dogs... <laughs> Dan, there's one down. Great. <laughs> yeah, no, that was quick. <laughs> How has preparations been going, Kylie? Well, I think it's it's exciting that they got somebody um, in me who knows nothing about football and is not a rock person. So they're already yeah two two strikes down. But I think we'll be right because you know like we've, the thing about the rock dogs I've noticed is that they actually um, we're from you know the the band world, the rock and roll world. We're used to having teams. We're used to having a band. We and we've got heaps of young boys. So and then the megahertz are over there with like they've got one person to a show and they're all kind of like one like one man one man one oh, man. Oh yeah, that's right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we, we sort of we wrote people as young. in. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not as young, but we're we're smart. Yeah, that's right. seasoned. That's true, right? Mm. So what about see. the history of the event? Twenty five years. Yeah, twenty five years. I think it actually goes a little bit longer. I remember going to the first game down in St Kilda before it was the Community Cup, and uh, the megahertz in the early days. Uh, we had uh, a late broadcaster. Uh, he's no longer with us, Chris Venville. The first thing I ever saw was him coming off the ground. And everyone's saying, you'll be right, just stay there. And then later in the day, he went to hospital in, in the back of a station wagon where he'd, where he'd broken his leg. Oh. So at that point, um, oh, cool. it just proceeded from there. Uh, <laughs> why we have this uh, really question about the Rock Dogs is because they've always done it their way. They had a player who used to play for Collingwood once who was just in the crowd who put a jumper on and played the game and won the game for them. 
So they're always doing these sneaky tricks. We're not doing that anymore. Everybody on the team is in at least one band. Okay. (laughs) I'll tell you who is in one band. My own son is now playing for the Rock Dogs. What a scandal. He knows knows where he's breath butted. In a a band, Persecution Blues, where they do most of their training very early on Sunday mornings. you could even say they get there on Saturday night. It's at the last chance rock and roll bar. And that's where they do their training. So I'm a bit worried about the um, credentials of the rock dogs at all times. Megahertz are far superior. That's, that's, that's appalling. Just I don't, hope, don't I hope. bring a breathalyzer. <laughs> Speaking of rivalry, uh, Kylie and Bobby. Yes, oh. we went head to head. Yeah, that time when I beat you, Bobby. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks very much to Kylie Aldis. It's been so wonderful to have you on the show. We'll see you on Sunday. Excuse Go me. Rock Dogs. Spoiler, spoiler alert, it hasn't aired yet. We've already, oh, already of course, been, yeah. No, yeah. In, the, in, the, in training. I beat her in training. Yes, yeah, she did. So uh, it was a nice little warm-up to the game, but... And we're talking about, I suppose you went head-to-head on trivia and joy. We did, thank you. Sorry, no one else yes. is knowing what, anything about what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, sorry, it's Joy FM t- uh, tonight. It's going to be oh, on tonight. We can't tell you because it's a secret. Mm. But I will tell you one little thing that th- half the questions were written by the uh, the Megahertz mum, who is Bron. Mm. And so that was a little bit of cheating there. <laughs> Great up. It didn't help, unfortunately. <laughs> also, the, um, the, the adjudicator who was supposedly, um, you know, on, on neither side is married to a Megahertz. <laughs> Now, what about the the lineup? Uh, putting aside the football just for yep. one second. Yes. What about the music? Oh, the music's paramount to the day <laughs> because really, if you like football, probably You'll keep those interests for a couple of weeks when it's you know it's it's there are other games on, but. Yeah, the, the music is a highlight. It starts at, uh, I think, about 11.30, the music starts. Yeah, it's at Victoria Park, so we should start. That's start, right. Well, we? yes, yep. if you don't know about the community cup, it's this Sunday at Victoria Park, which is uh, in, in Abbotsford. So, yeah, Abbotsford, Abbotsford. Yeah. so you, you get down there, uh, buy your tickets, though, because we're reigning prem- uh, premiers. You know, nobody has beaten us for three years. <laughs> uh, yeah. There hasn't and been any games for two of them. <laughs> The point remains. Kylie, please Kylie. don't put facts Can we ahead of us. Turn her mic off. Yeah. <laughs> what a strange. Oh, it's just it's not working. Uh, <laughs> but there are tickets available. If you get onto the RecLink uh, page, you I'm can... sure you will be able to buy a ticket. And please buy your tickets because the last time we were there, it sold out and you could not get in. I knew reputable Melbourne luminaries that couldn't get in the gate. Well, wow, that's fantastic. And it's great, it's great for RecLink because they do a lot of work uh, to provide for a lot of people that aren't as fortunate as others and they do a lot of work that's unpaid for, so it's good to contribute to this. Gates, yes. gates open at 11 uh, and you can buy tickets at communitycup.com.au. Make sure you buy them for the Melbourne event because this is now something that has grown mm. in you know, 25 years since its first incarnation and it's all across the country It's now. huge. I played once at Elston Wick. Because I played many games, of course. Yeah, you know, I think my, um, you know, the game tally AFL players have. I think my record. I'm, I'm at nine games. So Ooh, that's, wow. you know, that's that's wow. big in community. Still, your son's playing for the Me- Rock Dogs. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm a, he'll play for the Rock Dogs. Well, I, I brought them up well, and our children, Louisa and I, brought up four boys, and we taught them to be compassionate towards people <laughs> that are underprivileged. So. He said, I, I feel better to play for the Rock Dogs. <laughs> I, they, I get they need some it. sort well, of support I'll because be nobody's them. acknowledged it. <laughs> I'll be telling them to um, find out which DJs have been playing their songs and which ones haven't and tackle them hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good theory. But what I was going to say, I played in, at Elston Week in front of, I think it was 10,000 people, 
And a friend of mine who'd played a lot of amateur football said, I've never played in front of 10,000 people. Wow. So if, uh, if you are there, make a lot of noise for the megahertz and the rock dogs. And I've got a very important community service announcement. Mm. No streakers. Seriously? Ooh. Oh, okay. That's not actually true. So if you're listening and you think you're going to be a streaker, <laughs> no, just do true. it in the third and fourth quarter because we've already got a few for the first and second. <laughs> right. Well, actually, it's illegal, isn't it? Apparently in that in that council, it's illegal to do streaking naked. Oh, listen, the rock dogs, they have to kill every bit of fun <laughs> It's illegal. What but you know what? Wrong? Somebody did it one time and everybody just raised the money for the fine. That's so true. do whatever you yeah. want, people, and bring your dogs and bring your kids, but raise it. we're raising money for Reckling. Whatever we do, we're going to hurt each other for your fun and your benefit to bring the money. What about some <laughs> abiding memories of theatric, theatrics in years gone by that uh, maybe might inform what the crowd so can people, catch on Yeah, Sunday? so people aren't there to see to see Speckies in 50 metre well, goals. What right. are they really I, there to I, see? I remember seeing um, just out of nowhere a guy on the side with a barbecue cooking sausages. <laughs> when I say on the side, he was on the ground. <laughs> Uh, there were some other uh, other band members that ordered a pizza spazzies, at halftime. Yeah. yeah, the spazzies. And then they, um, at, when it was delivered, they just sat down um, at the half-fought flank and just ate their pizza. Oh, I can't wait. Sounds like my kind of footy. Yeah. yeah. And Cram set up his drums. Yeah, like, set up his drum kit. Well, in the yeah, there was Cram and uh, Glenn Maynard. They played my pal in the um, the goal square. I think it was the last game. So Yeah. So uh, just be ready for anything. Don't take it too seriously. We do get a lot of people that are quite... Um, they get white line fever. We we used to have a player. I won't mention him. I'll just say his name was Ant, and he is his record is he broke Tim Rogers' ribs, um, Michael Cheney's arm, I think, and uh, in a separate incident, Andy from Digger and the Pussycats uh, dislocated his shoulder a week before they had a European tour, which had to be cancelled. So. So there is a lot of <laughs> carnage and I think gloves are off now that Kylie's uh, set the rule. So, But we have made a nice little rule for people because it's, it's way more inclusive these days. I mean, there's not as many high flyers and we've got like, um, <laughs> we've decided <laughs> since you've stopped playing politics, yeah. there's less there's less biffo. Um, we're more inclusive and the, the centre square is only for non-cis men after the kickoff, after the bounce, after centre bounce. But then after the after it comes outside the square, I think it's all, it's all bets Free off. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you say I've retired. Oh, have, have you not? Retired. Have you got a secret for us? Well, I've got a coming. big scoop coming right now. <laughs> this Sunday, I'll be making my official comeback <gasps> against my son, Elmo. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. so Awesome. So <laughs> just, just watch out. Just watch out. It'll be the, the biggest three minutes of football you will ever see. <laughs> oh, so don't be late. Whatever you do, don't be late. Amazing. <laughs> Start doing your stretches, yeah. Elmo. And there's an official Paulie P. Cheer squad. If you want to be part of it, <laughs> just ring Mon. <laughs> Uh, but you really, you really need to get on board and book now because you'll be disappointed on the day if you leave it to last minute. And the weather it's actually looks day. pretty good on Sunday. It no does. rain forecast yeah. because 20, 2019 and eighteen it was the coldest day of the year. Both both those games we played. <laughs> this looks a little bit better. It's you know easier to get out and about. And Parsnip are on at twelve, so you got to get there early because the music starts long before the game. Yeah, yeah. So there's heaps of bands now. Tell us who the bands are again. Parsnip, Izzy. You, yes. Then there's the game. Halftime, uh, you've got Alskima Beats playing. Yep, great yes. band. Yep. And then Cash Savage, Private Function at the end. To private Function out. at the end are the biggest rascals in rock and roll in Melbourne. <laughs> if you haven't seen them, stay till the end. 
you think the hijinks will be on the ground, it'll be the hijinks at the end of the game that you'll be looking for. It's not late either. They're on at 10 to 6. Do you know what I mean? So don't, you know, oh, it's a Sunday. Great. It's not time, yeah. yeah this is fine. our kind of time slot. Perfect. For, yeah, for this bands, is, isn't it? This is where we get the rock dogs. We put a game on during the day. If this game was on at 2 in the morning, we wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The theme is Let Love Rule, which I'm not really picking up from your rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let animosity and hostilities commence, is more of a vibe. But it's a really epic day. I can't believe I'll be on the field. Uh, no, no, I, can. I can't believe I won't be there. <laughs> Are you a, are you a um, seasoned football? I know Bobby's a seasoned footballer, no. and Mon definitely is. Mm. Obviously. What about you, Daniel? What's your your uh, your background? Have you um, you played for St Kilda under nineteen? Yeah, that's with, right. uh, with Shane Warne, is that true? That's that's <laughs> right. Yeah, it was a choice between AFL or or radio uh, or radio. <laughs> everyone's the beneficiary here. Uh, dogs are welcome. Kids are welcome. All the tickets available at Community Cup. .com.au. Uh, it's going to be a massive day. Yeah. Head along. Book tickets. Kylie Oldest. Oh, one more thing? Yes. There's plenty of after parties. So if you've got nothing to do for the next seven oh, yeah. days after it, uh, <laughs> check uh, check social media. There's, oh, yeah. Gasso, there's many, uh, Croxton and Luli are all hosting yeah. different events. So get there. It's back in a big way. And all the food trucks and food, the beard. Oh, it's just... Etch. There's lots of etch there. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, of course. There better exactly. be some merch. Is there going to be merch? Yeah, well, well unfortunately, there's only Megahertz um, <laughs> merch this year. There's no Rock Dogs memorabilia at all. So do what you can. Just, Just support steal the Rock Dogs. Yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's a spirit. Polly P, break a leg. And unfortunately, that literally. Thanks a lot. They came into enemy territory, but I expect nothing less. Go, Megahertz. Melbourne's own Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. And you stop saying about dirt. Here to get down to Dirty in the Garden, we're joined by infamously courageous megahertz and horticulturalist Justin Calvary. G'day. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, I'd, before we get into your questions and everything, I just talking turf, because you've played in a few community cups. I have, yeah. Uh, what was your pitch report Oh, yeah. At the time, and what do you have to say about Vic Park? Uh, Vic Park's a beautiful surface, and you know, played junior footy and, and you know, played there in the younger days, and spent a lot of time getting smashed by Collingwood as an ex Fitzroy supporter, going out there, sitting on the wing, seven B out on the wing. <laughs> the seat is still there, and yeah. I've gone, gone back and sat in it. Oh, it's cool. a beautiful surface. Elstonwick was a piece of shit. It was, <laughs> Alstonwick was dead set. It might as well have been in Werribee. Yeah, right. It was that bad. It was muddy. Yeah, did a, did a knee out there. Yeah, it was shocking. Shocking. But you were Good luck to you all. Yes, thanks very much. Well, <laughs> thank God we moved. Yeah, totally. Uh, now, it's cold out. Is it cold enough? Well, it's really mild today, so that's a bit of a worry because um, here to talk about chill hours, we need to chill out in winter. Mm. And plants have been doing it for a very long time, deciduous plants in particular. So... It's always one of the things that's fascinated me about plants in general is that they were calculating way before Pythagoras and whoever else, famous mathematician. Mm. So deciduous plants set their fruit buds in summer and then as the weather cools off, they start calculating the hours below 7 degrees. So any temperature below 7 degrees is called a chill unit and different plants calculate how many chill 
units tick over through the winter before they then start to open their buds for flowering. So where they've originated from, winters go for varying amounts of time. So some are from Kazakhstan, some are from North America, some are from Europe, some are from deep dark um, Mongolia. So where they've originated from, winter lasts a certain amount of time. So they're literally ticking and calculating hours. And when, if they don't get the right hours, then they don't set their fruit buds. They sit and wait until they get their hours. It's genius. Mm. Is that is it, is uh, it like, like a, you're looking at everyone's oh, looking at me like that? What are you like talking magic. about? <laughs> yeah. And so this have... is encoded into the seed. In, encoded into the yeah genetic coding that right. you know they need a certain amount of chill, otherwise they just won't produce their fruit. Right. It's, so it has been pretty cold though, like you said today, Smart. It's been particularly a particularly cold start to winter. So is that a good thing? Yeah, exactly. So you know it just means that we can grow more varieties of stuff. So like I said, every different variety. So apples are different to medlars, which are different to you know olives, which are different to chestnuts, etc. They've all got different hours. So what we need to do is you look at your average temperatures over July in wherever you live, um, and so let's say your average is minimum is three average high is 10 you add those two together which gives you 13 half of that you divide it by two 6.5 so 6.5 is your average temperature now if we look at ballarat for example 6.5 is about ballarat's average temperature and that equates to about 1180 chill hour units so ballarat is super cold we know it's cold lots of great orchards out in ballarat melbourne equals about 830 chill hours per year so that's considered high anything over 650 hours is considered high that's why you just don't see apples and those kind of things growing around sydney because they only get about 620 Mm -hmm. chill hours brisbane only gets 300 hours so it's only subtropical fruits for them you know so it's very interesting to see what will happen in the future as climate changes and is predicted to become warmer that we just won't you know tassie won't be the apple isle anymore and we won't be growing, you know, peaches and mm. nectarines and that kind of stuff in Melbourne with just a few degrees warmth. We'll drop below, you know, 400 chill hours and now it's bananas and sapotes. Yeah. Well, you can't fight progress and maybe uh, <laughs> they need to up their, just reconfigure their chill hour game. Yeah. I don't mind if apricots drop off the planet. I'm, I'm fine with that. <gasps> But, um, but you know, everything else, I'm, I love apples. I've got an apple collection. I love me apples. Well, there is an apple question. Are apple and pear flowers considered to be blossoms? Yes. Okay. Uh, what else? <laughs> that was efficient. Mm. Um, um, we... People just think of cherry blossom. They just equate the words with, you know, the cherry blossom sakura in Japan. But, um, yeah, it's the same thing. Mm. Um, got plenty more coming. Uh, we're contemplating bamboo as a screen in a narrow space. I know the roots can go everywhere, though. Are there a true non-propagating variety available? Yeah, so you've got to look for clumping bamboo, not running bamboo. So talk to your supplier about that. A clumping bamboo will still get to about a metre in width, though. So think of a metre by a metre. So if it's right up against the fence, it could cause some issues next door. Um, um, someone, Rocky has planted heaps of greens and veggie seedlings. Should they mulch? You're Absolutely. Always, yeah, right? always mulch. But in winter, just a thin mulch because obviously cool season plants like cool soil. If your mulch too thick, it'll warm up the soil, which will then trigger, and this is really appropriate for today, uh, it'll trigger. It's like, oh, it might be spring and they'll start to go to flower, which you don't want. Okay. Let right. winter veg be winter veg. What about a Roma tomato plant that has four babies still growing between two and three centimetres in length? How can I help my tomato to grow in this freezing weather? It's Mine are doing the same. There's lots of so-called summer veg that have, because it's been, it's been quite mild, mm. um, 
And so, yeah, I've got the same. Whether they ripen or not, it's another story. I'm going to cover mine, make up like a little temporary, like a little hothouse, just mm-hmm. with a few bits of plastic, like a teepee, and see if that keeps them warm enough to ripen. Because if, if I ripen a, you know, my, I've got Siberian tomatoes, if I ripen one of them in July, mate, I might even get back on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our calistamon in the backyard flowers like Mark Philippoussis. Flashes of brilliance, but ultimately (laughs) underwhelming and well short of its potential. (laughs) What are your tips for a more impressive bloom? So uh, be careful with your pruning. A lot of people will prune off one-year-old laterals. So the shoots that are one-year-old is what they fruit on. So if you keep um, fruiting, flowering, so if you keep pruning it like a hedge, you're cutting off next year's fruit and flowers so you've got to thin it out like a hairdresser not cut it like a hedge mm, okay um someone in trentham where they said lots of chill hours uh, yes there. i still live in trentham g'day to Trent- yeah cool country good on you we would have been neighbors i was blackwood really yeah oh deep dark blackwood <laughs> <laughs> well george in trentham says they've got sheep sorrel in weed proportions how do mm-hmm. they get rid of it um get more sheep Okay. No, no. <laughs> um, goats, yeah, it's very difficult to do. If it's in large amounts in paddocks, then that's a whole other story. Um, but just around the house, is suppression is the number one. So if you've got small amounts, just even you get some tea towels or a cardboard box or something, oh, just sit it over the, the top. the blankets again. Yeah. Okay. Yep, mm. just cover them, block out the light, and they can't survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about wind in coastal areas replanting? The wind's brutal and making native shrubs split. Yeah. Um, succession planting. So don't think about what you're what your end game is, you've got to plant some short-lived plants that are indigenous, ideally, um, to create a bit of a buffer. So you need to filter wind out while the new plants that you want to really grow establish and then the other ones can come out. Hmm. Uh, My Japanese maple is now bare with long hanging branches. Should I prune it or just leave it? Prune it um, and thin it like a curtain. It's wonderful that Acepel made them the cascading ones. don't leave it like as a solid curtain. Try and thin it out so you've got this, these fingers dripping down and it looks absolutely beautiful when the new leaves come out just in very thin fingers. Um, do you expect there's going to be ways to manipulate chill hours? Yeah, mm. everything is going to go into climate-controlled environments. So the plans are afoot for, you know, 10-storey buildings in our cities that will be climate-controlled. And, and everything, will, everything will be grown indoors. Oh, no, that's oh, not. Wow. Yeah, it's coming, kids. Uh, and what, what's your <laughs> Apple go-to Apple at the moment? Um, right now I've just had a Magnus's Summer Surprise just finished. So it's a very late Apple. We picked our last two last week, which was quite amazing. So, yeah, to be able to still be picking fresh fruit um, off oh. deciduous trees in, in June, July was amazing. And now it's all citrus time. All the citrus are coming. So well, we're picking mandarins. Oh. Mandarins is where it's at right now. Um, yeah. That apple is amazing. It's pink. Yeah, it's, it's pink. It's got a pink pink flesh inside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you brought that one in? Um, yeah, that's the one I brought in oh. to you. You brought in yeah. a... Um, and it was... It's, full, it's completely red. Red. It's called Red Love or something. Yeah, there was Red Love and Magnet. There's. A, I've got a few of the red ones. Yeah, I brought them in. Red Love, that was right. Well done, Mom. Thank you. <laughs> How many apple the... trees do you have? Uh, 16. <gasps> wow. Okay. That's just wow. my apples. <laughs> <laughs> that's extraordinary. Uh, okay, so now... These chill units, and I've always thought of myself as a bit of a chill unit. You are a chill unit, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most people just say unit, but I say I reckon you're a pretty chill unit. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is this a phenomenon that we've known about for ages? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we've known for a very long time that if, um, if we don't get the right amount of chill, so it's about whether you like slow chill, 
for a long period of time or hard, fast, chill for very short, we've noticed that how it affects the flowerings because you get spon, you know, kind of sporadic kind of flowering, you'll get poor fruit setting and even the buds will just die off. So you've got to be very careful if you get in a place that gets late frosts and you've got something mm. that likes a slow chill that they get burnt. So we've observed this for, for millennia, right? Greeks, Romans, everyone. Because yeah. you talked about in the future plants being grown indoors, but people can do things now to have the at home to have the opposite effect, like make their own little greenhouse, whatever. Can you do anything like that? Absolutely, for, especially for chill hours. In urban areas, we've got lots and lots of little microclimates. So if you notice that there's one little corner that's always cold, like you go, it's like, oh, don't sit there because it's mm. always freezing there. Mm put a little apple in a pot in that corner because it's colder there than it would be in somewhere else. So look at the microclimates. Okay. All right. And when I get brutally injured on Sunday, <laughs> uh, do you have any recovery tips? <laughs> Ice and fosters. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and the well, fosters goes in the ice. Don't yeah. worry, on your body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, well, go, Megas, and uh, dig out. Thank you very much. Good luck to you all. You'll need it. Published in 2005, Joan Didion's classic The Year of Magical Thinking is about her husband's sudden death, her daughter's illness and the author's efforts to make sense of it all. Ranked by The Guardian as one of the 100 best books of the 21st century, the memoir was adapted for Broadway in 2007 and is reprised after a sellout premiere season at 45 Downstairs. The show stars Green Room award-winning actor Gillian Murray, whose career spans theatre, film and television, and to tell us about The Year of Magical Thinking, uh, touring now, the actor joins us in the studio. Gillian, welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, can you tell us about your relationship with this text and uh, why you're drawn to staging this? It's a huge piece, I'm going to say, right at the beginning. I, I'm on stage solo for about an hour and a half. And the reason that it came about was that I was working with the director, Lawrence Strangio, on a Marguerite Duras piece, which was two of us on stage. Uh, for an hour and a half. So it kind of seemed a logical progression that I then go solo for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had had a very long gap from performing for about 20 years. The last job I did of any significance prior to these two shows was in 1993 for the Sydney Theatre Company. So it, this was the first one not Magical Thinking, but the two-hander, the Marguerite Duras. That was the first one in 2014. So I received the Green Room Award for that and then was nominated for the Green Room Award for this. So I thought, well, you know, maybe a 20-year gap's not a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> uh, and with the book and the author's effort to make sense or to even find meaning, um, reading the book uh, Joan finds meaning in, I think, geology at one point and the ritual of domestic duties. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah, she says, you know, after failing to find meaning in the more traditional um, ways that one would find meaning after, after loss, she learnt that she could find it in geology and it's promised that the world will change but it will also continue. Mm. Mm. And she also found it in the Episcopal Litany, as it was in the beginning, is now, ever shall be, world without end. And so she says, well, do we really get any more comfort than that mm. in the end? And although it is a play about loss, believe it or not, there is humour in this play. Because of all her 
intelligence and her wit and her... I mean, she is a superb writer. Um, but there are moments where she says, well, there came a day when I was supposed to give his clothes away. But she stopped at the door to the room and she, she said, I realised I, I can't give his shoes away because he'll need them when he comes back. Mm. So odd, odd moments like Which that. Which I think is maybe the core of the magical thinking. It is really that idea of if thinking. If I do this, then this will happen. Yeah. If I have the funeral with all the rituals, then, then he'll come back. And each time it's this disappointment that, oh, he didn't. <laughs> You know, what am I not doing? And even when she looks at the body, she says, look, he doesn't necessarily look dead. And he's Mm -hmm. wearing faded jeans and a check shirt and a navy blue blazer. And he doesn't look dead. So if he's doing his part, there must be more than I need to do. Yeah. There's there's also when a partner of 40 years dies, uh, uh, Joan Didion touches on the idea of being frozen in through their eyes, or not ageing. Yes, yeah. Uh, does does the play explore that as well, or, do, or, or does that touch you in some way? I think so. I think we all have memories of those who are no longer with us, and they don't age. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of it, you know, what is the, um, you know, age shall not weary them. Mm. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it as an anti-aging. Um, no, no, exactly. <laughs> it's not the strategy, um, but you know, um, interesting because the social worker assigned to Joan Dean describes her as a pretty cool customer. Does how do you approach the performance, given that it's been staged previously as well? Yeah, I think it's only been as uh, as far as I know. I think it's only been staged twice in Australia. Um, Robin never did it about four or five years ago. Uh, and our production is, I never saw that production, but ours is quite different. I don't impersonate Joan Didion. I pretty much play myself with Joan Didion's language, so there's no accent. Um, And uh, the comment was made by a reviewer (laughs) that the quiet concentration draws you into sophisticated emotional eddies that maybe a literal portrayal might not um so and and the staging of this is very very simple there's a chair there's a table there's not much more than than that um and that was our intention to give a very honest direct I communicate for the first 40 minutes the lights are on in the auditorium with the audience and then it kind of takes a turn but I think you know if this is a small work in terms of its human impact it's it it, it certainly um, is about as grand as theatre can be because it really is about understanding ourselves and although our fervent desire is this won't happen to us it's pretty darn obvious that in the end it will happen to all of us, Yeah, uh, that we'll lose someone close to us. And she takes us through this journey in most unexpected ways and with humour. And I think it, it seems to be having a tremendous impact, not only when I did it at 45, but also now as I travel up and down the countryside <laughs> thinking magically. Yes. <laughs> 
Have you found it personally helpful in addressing this issue? Like, the, you know, the book is 15 years old or something like that, but embodying this semi-character and speaking these words about loss and, and grief and moving on, have you taken anything personal from it? I, it's a good question and a question that I've asked myself, mm. you know, just saying, well, one of these days it's it will happen to me and it will happen to all of us because I've spent months, um, six months to learn the script um, and uh, then being immersed in it, I keep thinking, well, is it going to, you know, am I getting any tips here? You know, will I? <laughs> um, I, it's very hard to, to answer that question because, mm. as she said, you know, grief is a place that none of us know really until we reach it. You know, mm. we, we all expect and, and know that we'll lose someone and we might expect to be you know inconsolable crazy with loss but as she said you do not expect to be literally crazy cool customers who believe that her husband is about to return and will need his shoes so I I don't know it's a hard question to answer but Mm. but I have considered it (laughs) do you think self-pity gets a bad rap it certainly does, yeah. She is so darn analytical about the experience uh, and the first words she wrote after her husband died suddenly at, at the dinner table was, um, uh, life changes fast, life changes in an instant. You sit down to dinner and life, as you know it, ends the question of self-pity. Right. And she said, these were the first words I wrote after it happened. And she's always rigorously examining herself. Is she thinking that this is something that happened to her rather than something that happened to him? Mm. What about, uh, we speak about meaning and you touched on your own departure from acting for 20 years. Was, Was that... Uh, I know people have complained about COVID and they've been kept off the stage or whatever and you'd say, well, been there, done that, in, in terms of staying away. <laughs> it, was it like riding a bike? Uh, it was a bit, yeah. I I was so surprised. Uh, but I think having trained as an actor, having done that all my working life up until that 20-year gap, and I did other things and... Oh, all sorts of other things in that 20 years. And there was a reason behind it. I um, I married an artist. I had children. I thought, oh, gosh, you know, one of us has got to have a regular income. Oh, that's me, is it? <laughs> okay. Um, so I don't have any regrets about it. But it was, um, it was a bit like, thankfully, getting back on the bike and having the wind behind you. <laughs> what, with... Uh, I think in that intervening period you were maybe teaching corporate people how to, I don't know, to communicate or speak? Yeah, I I worked for a a communication skills uh, company and ended up training. The company was small, but we ended up training around the world in Singapore, in Glasgow, in Belfast. Mm. Um, So, and, and I was thinking about that experience standing in front of groups of people for two days and training. And then in this play, I talk directly to the audience. So there's a, it's it's acting, but it's 
it's blending yeah. into this other world that I occupied for a while. Uh, and it's so good to see the show on in Frankston. Can you tell us about when these performances are? Yikes. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm on tour for about two months with this play. Uh, so we have a show in Frankston on Wednesday at 7.30. We also have a show at the Bowery Theatre at St Albans later in the week and in Bendigo and at the Theatre Royal in Hobart, at Chatswood in Sydney, um, and various places up and down the countryside from Mullaney down to Coffs Harbour and various places in, in New South Wales. Cool. And Canberra. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's all happening. Uh, well, it's so exciting to have live theatre back, and especially. Do you how much you've been complimented on your voice in the past? Do you reflect on how uh, appealing and sonor, or just how your presence, your vocal presence, is that? Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh goodness me. Um, <clears throat> is now, that just natural, or have you? Now I feel as though I have to do. No, that. no, no. <laughs> um, well. Uh, perhaps I have my mother to thank for this. You know, she was a, as a young kid, she was whisked off to what was then called elocution classes mm -hmm. as a young kid because her name was Ivy and she went to school and the teacher asked her what her name was and she said it was Ivy. Um. <laughs> And so I think she was really keen for her daughter to um, speak nice. Um, so, and of course, I've had you know drama school yeah. and voice mm. training and and all of that. I didn't mean stuff, to make you feel awkward, but know, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to see Gillian Murray act all nice uh, on stage <laughs> in the year of magical thinking, it's on tour June and July. It plays at Frank's Art Centre, as Gillian says, June 15, the Barry Theatre in Snowlands on June 21. For tickets to these shows, head to artcentre.frankston.vic.gov.au or creativebrimbank.com.au. And uh, we've been speak we're fortunate to speak with star of the show, Gillian Murray. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Triple R. I wished to made a happy birthday uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, we used to live together when we were in Samoa. Uh, and then we started chatting and he was, we were just kind of, you know, reminiscing on when we lived together and, and the fun times. Uh, and he reminded me of his birthday 15 years ago when we were living together. Um, and we lived with uh, another housemate, uh, a German woman, and uh, I think her partner for a little while. So there were a few of us in the house. It was a share house. It was quite social. So we had a few people over for, for dinners and drinks and, and whatnot. And for his birthday this one year, we, uh, we had a dinner party and then we kind of kicked on. And we had this outdoor area, which was lovely and great because it was always really warm. So we'd always sit out there. But we were also in a neighbourhood, in a village. Uh, and our neighbours were close enough, I guess. Um, right. So in distance. In di yeah. Right. Sorry, in distance. Yes. Um, I mean, the, yeah. Then not like Western houses are not right next to each other, mm. but we were all within this village in, I guess, what you would call a court. Um, and this one particular uh, year for his birthday, we were all celebrating, uh, and it was probably around midnight um, on a weekend. And then all of a sudden we heard a, re a really loud bang, which was a rock being thrown on the roof. And that was typical in Samoa. If someone throws a rock on your roof, it means shut up. Really? It means to shush. 
<laughs> but no one ever speaks or comes out and says, can you keep it down or anything like that? It's just a rock. And we know, like, oh, okay. At first, when we first moved over there, we were like, what the hell was that? We didn't realise what it was. Uh, then we heard a few more and we're like, I think it's rocks. I'm like, I think someone's out there throwing rocks on our roof. Uh, and we told our in-country manager uh, and she said, oh, okay, that's, that's your neighbours telling you to shut up. We're like, <gasps> What? She said, yeah, that's, they're not going to come and talk to you and let you know, but if you are loud at night or at any time that's disrupting to them, they're going to throw rocks on your roof. Oh. like, <laughs> wow. Then it reminded me because my mum said to me, and she, she said so many crazy things to me that I kind of just forgot about it. Before I went to Samoa, she goes, now just make sure no one throws rocks on your roof. Like, make sure you behave. I said, what are you talking about? She said, if you don't behave, like if, you, uh, if your neighbours don't like you, they'll throw rocks on your roof. I said, oh, okay, Ma, no worries. See you later. She's like, I'm telling you. And I remember saying to her afterwards, I was like, you know when you were talking about the rocks being thrown on the roof? She said, oh, don't tell me they threw rocks on your roof. I said, they did. She said, what are you doing? What were you doing to upset them? <laughs> um, and, yeah, when I was talking about it with mum and family and my younger brother said as well, he's like, remember when mum used to throw rocks? We lived in St Albans and we had loud neighbours and mum went out to throw a rock. I go, she did. And we're like, what are you doing? She's like, that'll shut them up. It's like, no. Did she actually do it? She threw a rock on the roof, oh yes. God. And we're just like, what if it hits someone? Like, <laughs> but just apparently throughout the Pacific... If you have loud neighbours, you throw rocks on their But if you're an angry neighbour and you're a light sleeper but you have a bad arm, (laughs) (laughs) like you'd have to like fashion a little catapult or something. Yeah, a slingshot. A slingshot, yeah. Yeah. But that still requires, you know. So how many? Was it like the rainsery kind of frequency? Well, I mean, if we (laughs) shut up, then it would have stopped. But we didn't. Yeah. Did you, because at the time, did you not know... Or at, you just didn't want to? At first, no, no, no. At first we, we didn't know. So we were like, what was happening? Uh, and then after that we knew that it just meant it's it's time to shut up. But at times it would happen at like 7.30 and we're like, okay, mm. come on. But if it was late, then we'd be like, yeah, we should move inside. Like it's, it's quite loud and there's kids and stuff. Was there a particular element of the gathering that you think triggered the neighbour's fury? You know, I'm thinking of maybe a laugh in particular. My laugh? No, I'm not, I'm not actually <laughs> ending. But it could have been like, you know, sometimes it's like they're not going to like this track, they're not going to like. Uh, it, I mean, generally I reckon it would be the music. Uh, no, the music and the laughter of everyone. We were just... Rowdy. It, it, we were rowdy. Uh, we were having a good time. And so with the, with the rock thing, is it actually not as bad as it sounds but is it like the opening gambit like is rock like can, did- it co- can it cause any damage no i mean there were tin roofs everywhere and i, I don't think it was it never caused any damage yeah no but so let's say around town it starts off passive aggressively what's the opening gambit passive aggressively like a knock or is that a knock at the door is quite no, it's quite. It's like you're really confronting. Them. Oh, so yelling Even out, yelling out, like yeah. keep it down. Yeah, yelling out, keep it down. Then yeah. the knock, then the cops, or whatever. Yeah. And but so, where, where's the rock in that spectrum? Well, that's the start. That's the start. But it's also the end because there's no, there's no in between. There is no coming and talking or any other area. It is just either more rocks. I, maybe more rocks or bigger rocks. <laughs> that's that's pretty much how it goes, um, but we did. I mean, you know, at other time we're like, okay, yeah, we should shut up and get in. Um, but because yeah. you don't want to be silenced by a single rock, do you? 
you don't want to let the rock win. Yeah, it's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be a pushover, do you? No, not a pushover, um, but also I guess a little bit respectful. Of course. <laughs> but, I mean, at, yeah, sometimes it was like, no, it, we're just having a barbecue and it's a Saturday evening, not even at night. Um, but if it was late at night, I was like, yeah, you know what, I think we should go inside. I thought you were kicking on. I thought this was At top. times, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the majority of the time it was when we were It was out. later. It, it was late. It was like after midnight kind of a thing. And then oh, wow. did you get a sense of the direction they were coming from, like a blood spatter Absolutely. expert? Oh, yeah. we knew exactly where they were coming from. Right. And then the next mornings, morning, Marlo, Marlo, and you'd just say g'day. Uh, oh. Marlo is hello in Samoan. Male friendly? They're fine? Yes, absolutely. Wow. One smiles and no one talks about anything. <laughs> and... I pride myself on like letting all manner of behaviour slide. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, so uh, you'd call Bobby a pushover, but... Oh, like... no, no. Well, uh, yeah. Okay, am I a pushover? Well, I... Yeah, so I'm the neighbour. I'm the angry neighbour. Yeah. But I, like, I let them blow off steam and then I, like, take the capital. Like, that buys me licence for when I... When you finally do need to ask. When I need some leniency... I was saying, uh, remember yes. when I didn't throw rocks on your roof? Yeah, right. Yes. It doesn't. It's not guaranteed, though, is it? Because you could be like, oh, I've never told them off, whatever. And then you have a party and they might have a low tolerance. They might be hypocrites. That's right. You never know. Uh, th- almost certainly that's going to happen. Mm. Mm. Uh, and also, you know, you don't know what neighbours you're pissing off and all that sort of thing. Oh, I've we kn- knew. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it literally was just this one neighbour. The others weren't close enough to be able to throw a rock that far. Mm. We had one, another, a neighbour on the other side um, who were lovely and we spoke to them and they were great. Um, it, it certainly wasn't and them. It's or also there's throwing <laughs> rocks and there's lobbing a rock. It sounds like it's lobbing. It, yeah, more lobbing. Yeah, yeah. It's to get onto the roof. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. the w- the windows were not in danger. No, not at all. And neither were we. We never felt threatened yeah. we- at all. It was just like okay, I would time to bring it down. Throwing job, like the household rock chucker. All right, Daniel, you got the strongest arm <laughs> in the family. Exactly. Get out there and teach them the lesson. <laughs> we we used to have. We've never. I've never had terrible neighbours, which is great, and mm. thankfully have never had complaints made or rocks thrown on my place but um we used to have the worst dog that lived over our back fence oh okay and it was just and i think it was just completely neglected like i think it would just be left outside all night and just like oh 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 like all day all night just and and it was weird because this house ended up being sold but then vacant for like two years and kind of abandoned. I mean, the dog wasn't there on that time. Okay, that's good. But it was this thing where that was the only bad neighbour we had to put up with this dog. And I was just like, I can't, I don't. And sometimes we'd pop our head over the fence and try and like distract it. And we went around there one day and said, and, you know, in a very nice, polite mm. way, like, look, your dog keeps us up all night. Like, and the guy just made some joke about it. Oh, yeah, you know, he loves barking at the birds. So I guess he'll stop barking if you can find a way to get rid of them. <laughs> and we was like, no, 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 seriously. <laughs> get rid of your dog or I'm going to get... No. Right, yeah. <laughs> and just, they just, absolutely no responsibility. And then it was just like, and then we was just like seething. But uh, not, not to them. No, 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 no of course. No, just, just to me. On the other side of the fence. <laughs> you know how I've diffused a barking dog situation? Mimic the bark. I've tried that. <laughs> oh, <I've> been... <laughs> really? People do it with Pepper sometimes. Little kids go, oh, 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 and she just gets worse. <laughs> oh, no, but it has to be a sincere meeting at the dog minds. Oh, okay. Like, oh. <laughs> and then they're like, what? And then they're just so flummoxed that they stop. <laughs> I mean, the trouble is your reputation gets shot to shit <laughs> when all the neighbourhoods see you barking like a dog. 
Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Diani Lewis is a science journalist, regular contributor to Nature and Cosmos magazine, editor of the Best Australian Science Writing 2021, and last year won the Finkel Foundation Eureka Prize for long-form science journalism. Diani has reported on COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic and draws on personal experience, first-hand accounts from the front lines and scientific commentary in her new book, Unvaxxed, Trust, Truth and the Rise of Vaccine Outrage. And to tell us about it, the former Einstein and GoGo regular joins us now. Diani, welcome back to Triple R. It's great to be back in the studio. It's been a while, but it's lovely to be back here. Oh, well, you're definitely at home here. Congratulations on the book and grappling with an absolute movable feast. How uh, how did you contend with this issue? It must maybe be the dominant story of your scientific journalism life. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic, I've done a lot of reporting uh, for Nature and so a lot of that factual stuff. And then uh, with this book, it's been you know, a bit of a departure because I did bring in my uh, my own personal experiences uh, having uh, my mum my is an anti-vaxxer. She um, has been for as long as I've known her. Uh, so it was kind of interesting sort of bringing together this, uh, I guess, wealth of knowledge that I've built up about the pandemic, um, but then also looking at it more from a social perspective, mm. because um, I think as we've, as, as we've come to learn and during the pandemic, I mean, you can have you know, ways of curbing spread and that sort of thing. But you've always got to bring people on board with that. And uh, human behaviour is, you know, one of those um, intangible, difficult things to to sway sometimes. Yeah. Well, as you say, 95% of eligible Australians over the age of 16 are fully vaccinated. So why not let sleeping dogs lie? Is there a long tail of COVID that we should be looking to addressing problems coming down the track or can we put all behind us? Yeah, so this is what, so one of the difficulties, one of the things I had to grapple with writing this was that, you know, a lot of the experts are saying, they sort of say, look, when, when it comes to anti-vaxxers, one thing you don't want to do is amplify their voice. And that's a real risk in the media. You can give voice to, you know, a really fringe idea. And I certainly didn't want to do that. But at the same time, um, it is a u- almost universal experience, you know, everyone that I've spoken to about this book has said, oh, that's like my XYZ friend, relative, you know. Um, So uh, you're right, it is a really uh, fringe sort of minority of people who are really hardcore not wanting to get vaccinated. Um, But at the same time, it's an important um, fringe group, I think, because there are, uh, like it has the... um, I guess it has the ability to grow into uh, just out of anti-vax into, uh, you know, freedom movements Mm -hmm. and those sort of things. So that's, I guess, where I think it's important that we need to sort of look at this. This is different to other anti-vax movements in the past. One, it's it's far more vocal and far more visible, at least in my experience. Um, But I think something you touch on in the book that's been interesting is how it has interspersed with other kind of alt-right movements and how that's been muddied up together why do you think that is i think it's a bit of opportunism uh, mm. from the from the alt right to to be honest i think uh, there are certainly you know as soon as the mandates the vaccine mandates came in then it became much more about just a personal choice of whether or not to get vaccinated and it became more about you know infringement on right uh, rights to you know, movement and to do what you want. And certainly there's, you know, a wealth of uh, information 
or advocacy in the US that has that kind of focus and, you know, that can just be imported holus bolus into the (laughs) Australian context. Um, And I guess one of the things that I was really reassured by um, with the election campaign was that that wasn't so much of uh, a focus. Like it wasn't as big of a thing as it might have been. And um, I I think, you know, with the election campaign, Mm. we sort of saw a rejection essentially of these sort of fringe ideas. I think by by the time the election came around, you know, um, Omicron was everywhere. Mm. Uh, Mandates had become less of a... um, less of a thing and so you know it's it's reassuring that again this is sort of you know potentially faded a bit more into the into the fringes what about the role of trust uh you know why are some people or some institutions entitled to trust necessarily i mean i'm i'm thinking about say the vice president now kamala harris who previously said if donald trump tells us to take the vaccine i'm not taking it it's like okay uh last week the who said, oh, we're actually open to the lab leak theory. A year ago, you were banned from Twitter for suggesting it. So where shouldn't that put chisel away at some of the sanctimony? Yeah, look, I don't think... Uh, I mean, when you say who's entitled to trust, I don't think anyone is entitled to trust. I think everyone is entitled to people being sceptical about their, their motives and their their knowledge. I think it's always good to have a healthy level of scepticism about the pharmaceutical industry. They, they do have profit motives at the base of their business model. I mean, we can't deny that and say, uh, you know, and dismiss people's concerns. Um, and we can't say, oh, well, the government is always right because there have been months throughout this pandemic and uh, where the WHO was completely wrong about airborne transmission, where public health organisations around the world were you know, down, you know, or not really openly acknowledging airborne transmission. So, of course, there's there's uh, no way that we should uh, automatically say, I guess one of the advi- pieces of advice is, oh, well, just make sure that the information you're sharing is from a trusted organisation. But that completely falls apart when you have people who are like, well, a government organisation is inherently untrustworthy or a pharmaceutical mm. company is inherently untrustworthy and you just get this situation where people can be talking across each other, not hearing from each other and everyone's sort of going, well, I've got the trustworthy sources, you don't. And other people are going, well, I've got the trustworthy sources and, you know, it's, it becomes really difficult. But I think certainly from governments and public health organisations, they can be, they just have to be brutally honest and they have to learn the tenets of risk communication and say we don't know everything here's our best the best information that we have now that may change change and that's a good thing if it changes because it we it means we know more and i think that builds trust rather than saying this is the answer this is always going to be the answer and so important with a disease where you've got these repeated waves and mm. changing context all the time mm. I've travelled quite a lot and had so many vaccinations to travel to whatever country I needed and never questioned anything. That was just what you had to do. Uh, But, you know, reading this book, I was like, I I did fall into that. I I was scared and never have I been scared for a vaccination. But just having, I guess, uh, the different people on television giving different messages uh, and people that were working for health uh, organisations in Queensland as well. And I was quite hesitant as well. Um, How do you think that has impacted the, uh, I guess, the Australian Uh, community having all the mixed messaging yeah this is again really difficult because you kind of want to have you know open and honest you know 
dialogue about what's going on. You know, of course, you don't want um, things like the blood clots to be downplayed mm. or the the myo myocarditis after the Pfizer vaccine in in, uh, young men and uh, teens. You don't want that to be downplayed or overlooked and everything. And I think certainly in some of the the early stages of the rollout of the vaccine in Australia, those those concerns really were downplayed. And it was just seen as a, well, you know, you just don't know how to pass risk. And if you really knew the risk of COVID versus the vaccine, you wouldn't be making this silly decision to be to be uh, hesitant. And I think that's really unfortunate because it was ignoring the context at the time, which was that Australia had essentially no COVID. So, of course, Mm. taking something that people see as potentially not even necessary Mm. because they they don't have an immediate threat of COVID, you know, you've got to be, um, you you know, you've got to acknowledge that uh, people's concerns might be legitimate. Um, But I think that's, again, like that's different to, say, the anti-vax activists that Mm. deliberately undermine people's trust in vaccines and deliberately go out of their way to sow sow mistrust, sometimes with just blatantly false information, Mm. fabricated stories and that sort of thing. Do you think there are members of the community who are maybe lost lost forever to coming back to that part you know that place of common sense common ground because of the lack of trust because they've spent two years in these mainly online communities I wonder if that ship has sailed now and it'll be too hard to win them back and they'll continue to move into other conspiracy theory ways of thinking yeah I think one of the really concerning things that we don't yet know is how many people who have I guess been you know, are new to this anti-vax kind of sentiment and have refused the COVID vaccine will now say, well, I don't actually trust any vaccines. Now that that I think about it, you know, maybe I'll, Mm. you know, not vaccinate my children and that sort of thing. And we don't, we don't know how much uh, that will happen. But I guess, you know, we do have in Australia a very generally pro-vaccination community. So, you know, and we also have trustworthy you know, doctors, it's it's the people who have like the immediate contact with um, with others who can really break down those um, those concerns. So the local GP, the local nurse who does the injections at the maternal and child health nurse visit, they can be so instrumental in just sort of saying, it's okay, I understand you've got concerns, but, you know, and talk through, um, you know, what the real concern is. Mm. But but sure, there's always, there's always I think, the fear that um, certainly if you have become isolated through these online communities and, and the online communities have become your go-to of uh, where you find common ground with people, then, then yeah, I think it, it's unfortunate that some people will have gone down that path and... Um, and might not be so easy to to get back. What's your most charitable view of conspiritualism and its its role at the core, maybe even of vaccine hesitancy or aversion? My most charitable view is that well, certainly a lot of people who research conspiracy theories they were like, this was so inevitable. Like mm. this was this was in the mail as soon as we had a pandemic there were going to be conspiracy theories cropping up. We knew that there were going to be people saying that it was a fake pandemic we knew that there were going to be people saying you know that it was all a um you know a a way for pharmaceutical companies to earn money off vaccines that people didn't need they knew that that was going to happen so I guess um you know in a sense 
what I'm hoping for is that, you know, as the pandemic wears on and becomes, you know, part of our lives, part of something that we just have to deal with, this circulating virus that, you know, gets us again and again and again, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that people will sort of understand that as the, um, as the new normal, for want of a better word, um, and not have a need to reach for an alternative explanation, which is often what the conspiracy theories provide. They're like, okay, here's the explanation. It's all a government plot. And, you know, that seems like a a nice, simple thing to explain the uncertainty in people's lives. But if people are, you know, become a bit more used to the the new certainty, um, if you can call it that, Mm. um, yeah, they'll abandon those. And I don't mean to pry, but is is your mother coming around? Are you too... We, we haven't spoken for yeah. a long time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we we haven't – I haven't had any contact with my mum since um, last year and I have uh, tried. I've um, – you know, I'll keep sending her, you know, photos of her grandkids and <laughs> things like that, but um, I don't think that that's a relationship that's going to be repaired very easily, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, my siblings are still in contact with her so I can – you know, get a sense that of where she's at and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But um, Well, there's yeah. a lovely acknowledgement in the back to her as well, mm. uh, which I hope she learns of. Um, well, the book is Unvaxxed, Trust, Truth and the Rise of Vaccine Outrage. I feel like we could talk all morning, but you're better off <laughs> just buying the book, I reckon. <laughs> it's part of the Crikey Read series, and we've been fortunate to speak with author and a former Triple R broadcaster, Diani Lewis. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. Irvi Majumda is in studio as our Friday Funny Bugger this week. Morning, Irvi. Hi, comrades. Um, <laughs> morning. Good morning. I just say that because the last time I saw Daniel was um, well, at the, uh, at the, the Workers' Club. Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. Yes. At, at, at the curtain after yes. the ele- on election night. On election oh, night, yeah. Okay. The dregs at the end of the. Um, <laughs> They were like, get out. Um, but it was, I don't know what time it was, but I remember. Sorry, if I don't remember what I said or what. No, happened, no. But, um, probably, probably comrades. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. No, good to see you. How, how yeah. are you? Um, I'm going okay. I've just been um, in, I've just spent three weeks uh, at home. And Cam- I, I didn't grow up in Canberra, but my parents live there now um, because my dad actually got diagnosed with leukemia in Feb. Um, mm. So it's been hard. But um, yeah, I think going, he's, he's, it's treatable and he's going undergoing treatment, which is good um but he's still it's just funny how like he's still got this like crazy work ethic that um yeah baffles us um doesn't stop has it gotten more intense since being sick um i feel like our relationship's gotten better because we're a lot closer now and um can talk about more stuff um but he i thought he'd be like you know enjoy life and stuff but it's just like he's got even more hardcore than before (laughs) um uh, how do you philosophically deal with that it doesn't seem maybe a positive it's like well he's doing what he wants to do and has always done 
Yeah. He fills his time precisely the way he's always wanted. Yeah, I think philosophically it is interesting because I've started listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff about it. And, um, yeah, I think people expect people to have this, like, 180-degree turnaround, but it's actually hard for people to just change their whole personalities um, even after a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, So my friend was talking about how she saw on a reality TV show um, someone saying that, like, anyone that things that they've grown um, internally should go spend a week with their family. Um, and you're aggressive. <laughs> just, yeah, I just am like a two-year-old again. Um, <laughs> like when my dad got diagnosed, he was trying to log in. He's like obsessed with work and that's where we get like our work ethic from. Um, and he was trying to like log into some like training um, from the hospital. Um, and his boss was like, can you provide like a doctor's certificate to say that's okay? Um, and I was like, you're the first person in like the history of the world to need a certificate to go to work. <laughs> like. <laughs> He's like the biggest nerd on the planet um, and he works in the government so it's really like you can chill like they're into leave it's fine um, <laughs> flex time isn't that what it's all about yeah exactly yeah like no one works as hard as you and it's funny um and it's like i keep wanting to like reflect on like life and death and like you know the big questions um but he keeps just talking about how much stuff costs like all the time um like he made this prawn curry and he's like I was trying to be like, you know, how do you feel and stuff? And he's like, do you know how many prawns I put in this curry? 46 <laughs> cream prawns. <laughs> they cost $35 a kilo. How many do you think you'd get at a restaurant? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of prawns. Very know. generous. <laughs> that is very generous. I know. That's the other thing. If you, if you say you like one thing once, he'll just cook like two kilos of it every time he sees you. <laughs> so do, do you reckon uh, your dad is wanting to protect you as in part? Is that... Uh, Focusing on trivial things, or is it just always been his personality? Forty-six prawns is not trivial. <laughs> no, and that's, that's true. yeah, that's not trivial to him. Um, I think he's always like his mission in life is to like um, teach us the worth of a dollar. Um, yeah, which is, uh, it's just uh, yeah. I think I don't know. I don't think he, we haven't spoken about too deeply about everything, but um, yeah, he's obsessed with just like me not spending money, <laughs> like his goal in life. Um, and also, it's freezing in Canberra, like even colder than it is here, and we're like, you know just enjoy your life like put on the heating um because you can get infections quite easily as well but he's like you an idiot and we'll just like have it's like living in the stone ages like he never puts on the heater we'll have it on for like one room for like we're allowed to have it on for four minutes and then um turn it off oh my wow. god mm. that's no. the opposite whenever i used to go to my parents house the heater was just on a 24-hour cycle oh, it's just like really? no you know it's 21 degrees outside can you turn this off and open the curtains <laughs> sitting there in a t-shirt <laughs> yeah i feel like that's a real division between our generation and um did, did your parents be were your parents obsessed with the heater my, oh, my mum's obsessed with the air con uh, okay mm. yeah. always always whenever she gets into the door from work oh it's so hot oh. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i feel like was she going through menopause i feel like that. <laughs> i was gonna, gonna take, say that take this off here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry your mum um <laughs> So a four-minute blast. Yeah, four-minute mm. blast and it's all zoned. Um, so it's like zone one. We're only allowed zone four because it's like the most uh, like economical section because uh-huh. it heats up the most part of the house. Um, but, yeah, it's like just a blast before bed and a blast when we wake up. Oh. Um, and if you have the curtains open in that time, it's just like, yeah, you'll never hear the end of it. Oh, because of all the heat escaping through the glass. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So sit so in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the dark, blasting the heater for like <laughs> a few minutes. I remember the long-fed gas explosion when Victoria didn't have gas or whatever right. for a couple of months. Oh, yeah. And so there was residual 
heat in the gas at our joint. And so Dad would stand beside the shower <laughs> with a timer. Oh, my God. And it told him maybe 90 seconds, I think, of the oh. shower. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't know what it is with Dad's. And I feel like it's a, like at my share house that I live in now, it's just like none of us have money, but it's just like 24-7 heating. Um, <laughs> and I feel like it's like, yeah, I'd rather be poor and warm than like cold and depressed. <laughs> Saving yeah. money to buy all those prawns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, where are you at with pyjamas in your life? Oh, I'm I'm like the worst. So I have I will go to bed in like probably three jumpers, um, oh. <laughs> uh, electric blanket, hot water bottle. Um, yeah, I'm, I get really cold, but I have a hot water bottle like um, all th- like three sixty five days a year. You right. do not. Yeah, I'm crazy. Really? Like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legit. It's like my boyfriend gets like heat rash and stuff. <laughs> I was told the other day not to fill a hot water bottle with boiling water. Yeah, it says that on it. Yeah. Who listens to that? Yeah. Well, that's what I figured. I mean, but but I have, there's also been, I mean, what, it can explode, I suppose. Well, Mm. I think it's also maybe the danger of pouring it. When my brother was about 11, he was was doing that with a hot water bottle um, and had horrific... (laughs) <laughs> bring the mood down, but burnt like poured it on himself and oh, had yeah. this terrible burn. So I think that was that was probably why the warnings were there because of my brother. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> but um, he's the face of hot water bottles. <laughs> so a hot water bottle over a heat pack. Uh yeah, lasts yeah. longer. Does it? Yeah, well, yeah. more dangerous, but lasts. Yeah, longer. but live on the edge. Probably. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. exactly. But Are you worried about longer. electrocuting yourself with the electric blanket? Of course. Oh, yeah. Any excuse, guys? Uh, no. <laughs> Um, no, I don't. I guess I haven't. Yeah, you'd think I'd be thinking about mortality a bit more, but um, <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah. I just need it. I just need it to go to sleep. It's kind of like my um, adult teddy bear. Yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Do you yeah. still have a teddy bear? Uh, no, I had like one when I was um, smaller, but I stepped on it. <laughs> I mean, well, how it, no, it usually it survives. Made of glass. Step. <laughs> You stepped on your teddy bear and that was it? Oh, uh, well, the head fell off and I oh, just um, chucked it in the bin. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, what about all time now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, what about, when was the last time you bought a new coat? Um, I bought a new coat. I bought one in, uh, I went to Uniqlo last year and spent like $500. I think you a lot there. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> clearly my dad's lessons are working. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got, um, I've been, I've, I wear Uniqlo, but um, he's been, yeah, he's, he spent, he like splurged and bought a $150 jacket um, that he's been wearing for ages. Um, and one of like the duck down feathers started coming out and he like fully freaked out um, <laughs> just a few weeks ago. <laughs> does he sew? Uh, no, but my mum does. Right. So yeah, she'd definitely sew stuff up. But we wore like hand me downs and everything, like on repeat. All yeah, right. Childhood. And is he giving you the recipe for this prawn? Yeah. So the other thing is, he's like, so my whole life, um, I have a joke about it as well. How like every time I see them, I have to take my curry bag and um, have <laughs> and it's this bag that I have to like pack. It's like filled to the brim. And now that they're in Canberra, they still pack it. And um, my dad will come up to like customs or whatever it's called like security bit and be like don't turn the curry bag on its side like when it's going through the scanner <laughs> and we always get into it's like a tense day the day that I'm leaving like not because he's like gonna miss me or anything it's just because it's like it's just like like cooking so much um and we always get into an argument because I'm like don't give me so much curry like I just can't eat it and then this time <laughs> as part of his treatment he has to take steroids um so I thought it was bad fighting against him normally and then <laughs> It's all true stuff. On steroids, it was next. I'm like, I'm just going to have to, like, back out of the kitchen and leave. Oh, my God. <laughs> Roy Ray. Yeah. yeah. Literally, it's like Roy Curry. Well, good luck with it all. Uh, we, 
we can't catch you anywhere. Um, actually, yeah, you can. I'm doing um, Comedy Republic tonight and tomorrow as well. So oh, that's cool. a great room in Melbourne. Um, and I've also just been um, on one episode of Fisk on ABC. Hey! So, yeah, yeah, awesome. it's been amazing. So I'm not allowed to talk about the episode and what happens, but um, it's really exciting. And cool. um, yeah, they were an awesome cast and crew. Cool. cool. All right, yeah. well, head to comedyrepublic.com.au to see Irvi perform. And uh, Irvi, we jumped up. Thanks for the swing by, comrade. Thank you so much. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> That's right. Triple R. So we're joined by the unequivocally gifted Dr. Jen Martin. G'day. <laughs> Good morning. I think Mon stole my jokes because I was just going to come in and say, you know, I couldn't decide what to talk about today. <laughs> Mon, I mean, you stole it from me. I'm sorry. I've, you know, if you can't create, you got to steal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously, indecisiveness is a hugely debilitating problem for a lot of people. You know, from the simple, more or more simple, I guess, you know, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? Uh, what am I going to watch tonight? But, you know, through to quite big things like, should I connect with this person? Maybe marry this person? Do I want to have children? Do I want to pursue this career? I don't know, do any of you identify with being indecisive? Yeah, I think maybe on smaller things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, smaller things. Otherwise, I'm I'm not too bad. But I definitely have friends that are very indecisive. I'll describe to the if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And, <laughs> you know, so I if I have enough time, I'll allow indecision to fill the time. Yeah, right. Yeah, but if you, yeah, that's it. That's true. Yeah, give me a deadline, and, and yes. you'll do it. I'll fall one way or another. I feel mm. like it's tied in with risk taking as well, right? Totally. Like if you're risk averse, you won't be able to decide. You want to don't take that leap. Absolutely. Mm. Until then, not making a decision ends up being riskier yes. <laughs> than making a decision. So, so like you, Bobby, I know a few people who really struggle with indecisiveness, and it sort yeah. of, you know, it hurts your heart a bit, right? Because you're kind of watching someone just say, "Look, just just make a leap, just pick one way or the other and go," mm. because it's just becomes so hard the longer you put it off. And so, when I saw this new research, I thought, right, I'm going to talk about this because. This new research looked specifically at whether decisive people actually make better decisions than indecisive people. <laughs> because presumably you would have to imagine that that is why somebody is indecisive potentially, that they feel like in the past they've made poor decisions and they've been burned by it, so now they avoid making any decision. I don't know. Do you think that's a fair bet or do you think it's just kind of a character trait? I th you know, mm. I, I am the opposite of indecisive. I make decisions... Far too quickly. Impulsive. <laughs> and yeah, where Abby's like, can you just stop and think about this for a second? Mm. So, yeah, I'm the opposite, I think. Yeah. So I, mean, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway, so I just thought this was a good question. Do, do decisive people make better decisions? And on the flip side, do indecisive people make worse decisions was the question that these yeah. researchers basically wanted to ask. So the first part of the research was they had 720-odd university students and they got them to complete this questionnaire, which is called um, the Action Control Assessment. So Action Control, it's a yes-no questionnaire that focuses on everyday behaviours. And a couple of example questions were, um, Daniel, you can answer these for me. Okay. When I have a lot of important things to do, A, I often don't know where to begin or B, I find it easy to make a plan and stick with it. Ugh, A. <laughs> mm, mm. Okay, Mon, this one's for you. Okay. When there are two things that I really want to do but I can't do both of them, A, I quickly begin one thing and forget about the other or B, it's not easy for me to put the thing that I couldn't do out of my mind. I can A. Okay, well, I Good think you, you guys are both, mm. you know, we'd, so, so that means that <laughs> we would, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so that means we would 
I mean, you know, there's a lot more questions, so this is really <laughs> dodgy. I can't say anything on the basis of those two questions, but it's suggestive that you guys are what's called action-oriented. So that means people who focus on action, people who tend to be decisive and quite flexible and resourceful when problems get in the way. So kind of able to roll with the punches and better able to just, you know, achieve a goal essentially. Whereas someone who is state-oriented focuses on their emotions, they're less decisive and less able to commit to things and if problems come along and it looks like they're not going to achieve what they wanted to achieve, they're more likely to give it up as a bad job. So imagine this. So 720 people, they do this questionnaire. Then they take the 30 strongest action-oriented people, according to this survey, and the 30 most um, state-oriented people. So they're trying to go for the extremes. And then they take those people, I think 60 of them, and then get them to do some experiments. So they're expecting there to be differences between these two groups. Um, and they had to do some really make some simple risk-free choices, things like um, looking at a screen and there are dots moving across the screen and they had to say, were they moving left or right? Um, or looking at some fuzzy images and declaring at what moment in time they could say what that image was. So really simple stuff, but where people had to make a decision and make a decision in a certain amount of time. And so they looked at how quickly people kind of took on board information. They looked at how quickly they came to a decision. They looked at how accurate the decisions were, because obviously these things had yes, no. You know, there was a right answer and there was a wrong answer. Um, but importantly, oh, sorry, also how cautious people were in making their decisions. But importantly, how confident they felt about their decision once they'd made it. So here we are comparing these two groups of people with all these things. And it turns out the only difference between the two groups, the only difference they could find was in confidence. <gasps> yeah, right. So both groups of people made just as good decisions, um, you know, with a simple thing like this just as quickly, you know, they made the, the right choices the same amount of time, you know, all of those things I just said, there was no difference other than people who are decisive at the end, having made the decision, kind of go, yeah, I reckon that was a good decision. So there's no, no doubt, no self-doubt. Exactly. Wow. Whereas the people who are more indecisive, even when they've made the right decision, are more likely to question themselves and kind of go, oh, was it right? I'm not really sure. Oh, what an exhausting state of mind to be in. Mm. You, you're questioning yourself beforehand, you're questioning yourself afterwards. When are you satisfied? It's hard. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Because what it's saying is that if you're action-oriented, you know, even though you're in no way better, no way faster, in no way more accurate, there is nothing you do that's better than these other people who are more indecisive. It's just that you feel really confident about it, which I guess, I don't know, I think that that's, it, 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 you can understand how that relates to a lot of everyday activities, right? You know, if you're trying to start an exercise routine or you're trying to, um, I don't know, prepare for an exam or you want to learn any new skill, if you're going to constantly question yourself whether there's any point because you don't think you're going to make any meaningful progress, you know, how do you start? Mm. <laughs> yeah, the old don't think, just do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then think about the consequences and you later or just action is advisable sometimes yeah well it's the whole thing we teach you know research students all the time is people assume that they're going to start to feel motivated one one day to write their thesis but yeah. sadly that motivation never comes and in fact motivation follows action it's taking action on something it's writing a sentence it's setting up a new document on your computer it's taking action on something that then leads you to this sense of motivation of, oh yeah I can do this but if you never make that first step yeah if you never commit to making a decision then you just roll around in this turbulent sea of indecisiveness mm. forever you can't always wait for a perfect time no, no, yeah. no, no time is perfect for no, a lot exactly. of those big decisions. Exactly. Mm. We probably also see it in leadership when we 
seduced by leaders we might not even agree with, but, yeah. you know, they're strong men or whatever. Or and, strong women. Well, yes, but usually, you know, <laughs> the, term the dictators I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> you know, and that's for, for whatever reason regarded as seductive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we're drawn to confidence and there's heaps of studies that show that people who are more confident have higher well-being, do ac- you know, better academically, get better jobs, get paid more. And, and I, the reason I like this study is because I kind of think maybe this is a good news story for someone who does find indecisiveness is a real problem for them. I mean, I know this was a simple study with risk-free decisions. I'm Mm. not suggesting it represents the real world terribly well, but this suggests that even if you're very indecisive, you make really good decisions Mm. and you make accurate decisions. So maybe anyone listening who thinks, yeah, indecisiveness is actually a problem for me, Mm. take heart from the fact that probably you make just as good decisions as the next person. What's lacking is confidence. We don't fully understand why that confidence is lacking, but there Mm. are things you can do Mm. to improve your confidence. So you don't have to suddenly become this wise oracle who has a crystal ball and is always going to make perfect decisions. You just have to back yourself more. Yeah. So take it till you make it kind of thing. I, I think so. Sometimes yeah. I wonder whether there's also procrastination through over-consultation. <laughs> too, much, yeah, too much choice is always is a bad thing. Yeah, I feel, absolutely. I feel like we've ended that thing of having time. Like I feel like when I'm the most indecisive is when I'm travelling or doing something that takes a lot of money and then I read like a thousand <laughs> reviews of the product or the place and try and find the best deal and make sure there's nothing wrong whereas my partner will just like see the first restaurant on the list, book it. I'm sure yeah. it's great. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. And I'll spend like two days trying to decide, <laughs> trying to save 20 bucks or something. But do you enjoy the two days of research? or is Well, it... then I get overwhelmed and then I think, oh, yeah. what about all those other places? Or if, if someone else just makes the decision for me, I'm always happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah. I'm absolutely the same. I hear you. So, so indecisive people unite and let's just, you know, make decisions and be done with it. I'm sure it'll be fine, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, there is a text that says, uh, really indecisive, drives me crazy sometimes. So I've been led to believe from a number of people it's because I'm a Gemini. Always that would go down well in the scientific community, I'm sure. Um, Dr. Jen, thank you for being here unequivocally. Cheers. <laughs> Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. I looked in uh, uh, one of my top drawers. Well, this doesn't start it off well at all. We're live on Radio Bobby. Um, and I found a couple of uh, massage vouchers that were gifted to me for a birthday present. And I, I haven't used them. And to be honest, I don't know when I'm going to use them. Why um, not? I'm just not a huge, and, and I've said it before, I'm not a huge uh, fan of uh, massages. I get that it's a nice gift and it's not something that you normally, you know, it's a, like a luxurious yeah. gift and you splurge, but it's just, I don't know. I, for me, I feel like it's a little bit of an effort for me to have to go through the whole rigmarole. Jeez, of- I had to give you a voucher. <laughs> oh, thanks. Another thing I've got to... <laughs> Go to well, a voucher oh. for a massage is weird. It's like this third party wants me to touch you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all for it. Yeah, um, and, and you know, I, I I hope that I do use it. I don't know. I'm I'm fifty fifty with. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I just I don't really enjoy massages. Foot massages, I do. So maybe I'll I'll use it for that. Because and these people were very generous. So it's like I could get a full hour and a half oh. full body. I was like, oh. I couldn't think of anything worse. Half hour. I could think of several things worse. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I have to. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, I'll, I'll use them. I'll, I'll use them soon. Um, I well, no, you won't. I mean, no, that's, I, 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 no, I won't. Can you give them you to didn't me? even like getting rub downs. After footy. footy. I, yeah, you're right. Oh, whenever I watch the footy and I see the rub downs, I'm like, oh, God, what I'd give to be a footy player. Oh, well, see, we've got the Community Cup coming up on Sunday. You're going to get a rub down? Yeah, no, I'm going to play for a total of four minutes, but I'm absolutely going to get a rub down. You should. Baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we've got the trainers there then. We've got yeah, trainers there. Actually, I remember last Community Cup, I think they had osteos there. And the oh. one that she that I used beforehand was so good. I messaged the, like, the megahertz thread and said, does anyone know... <laughs> Who that woman was? I need to see her again, and yeah. no one had their contact details. So really? gone three years without without that magic touch. <laughs> you might see her again though on Sunday. Yeah, maybe. Fingers crossed. How about you, Daniel? First community <laughs> cup. Gate crashed and no, she was, <laughs> she was like employed was or you know through reckling. But yeah, no one got the back to me. Phantom of the Opera. And then I felt like a creep because I was like, anyone know the details of that massage therapist? And I was like, mm, just ignored it. You're got, not a creep. got crickets. I know that. <laughs> I'm just, I've just got tight muscles. <laughs> okay, now you're... <laughs> no, look, it, I, I, I've had massages and they go, oh, you're very strong. Oh, that's what happened to Will. Right. And mm. that, that's code that. for you're hating this <laughs> and your body is resisting my touch. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Try and give you a compliment so you loosen up, I think. Yeah, okay. Because I said that on, on our honeymoon, the masseuse told Will, you're a very strong man. I think it was me because he was ticklish. <laughs> oh, and, and that's another thing as well. Yeah, mm. I'm, I'm quite ticklish as well. So, and I don't want it too hard anyway. It's just, it's it's not for me. Mm. Um, but thank you to those people that gifted me those, those massages. Um, you know, another, and now I'm just sounding completely ungrateful, but another <laughs> wonderful gift that I got um, for the wedding was we get flowers every month. So oh, we yes. get a delivery of flowers, which is beautiful. And the first couple of months were wonderful and they were native flowers and there was no pollen and they weren't floral. But now they're floral and I'm allergic Mm. and I feel like they're coming every week, but it's just every month, which is such a lovely surprise. Um, But we can't have them in our main area. They have to go in the foyer. And even still, if I'm in the kitchen, I'm sneezing. Oh, no. But they're beautiful and I do love the look of them. So I just... so I this just, is a seasonal thing, right? So at the start a, of the year, they were ones that didn't yes. affect you. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like I said, native flowers are don't—they're not as floral uh, and they're quite dry, but beautiful. They're great. Uh, but these ones, they're just. So what I'm saying is, don't give me any presents. Don't gift me anything. Yep. I'm ungrateful. I don't like it. I don't want it. This is good to know, actually. And you have a. If you, I, have a, if you wanted it, you would have got it yourself. Absolutely. Mm. You're great. Well, you've got an ally on the text line. So thank Christ, I'm not the only one. I get given a massage voucher, and then I quietly. Let them expire and hope that I don't get asked how the massage was. <laughs> and I think that is not okay. I think I think at least or re-gift it. When's your birthday, Mon? Two weeks. Great. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and one of these – and you know what? Another one of these massage places is near where the person – they gave it to me lives. So they're just, they're Nowhere just near me. Sauntering around, <laughs> being like, hey, Bobby, you been there? Anyone has Bobby come here yet? Anyone seen her? Didn't you get a massage recently? Yesterday, I oh, did. Oh, right. Impromptu. Mm. Um, I just had a little bit of time and I've been, you know, I've been tense, been a bit tired. You have been, been tense. A bit busy. I've yeah. noticed that. <laughs> So people, by many things, people call describe me as tense. Um, no, anyway, and I just went to this little place in 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 like the shopping centre that I go to. It's Chinese massage massage place. Never fails. I said, can I just get a quick little forty five minutes? I've got my left shoulder sore. And he said, yep, no worries. Went in there, and I was like, oh, he's going pretty hard, but that's good. You know, I'm more mm. usually like that's what you want. You know, I'm a strong I'm a strong man. Uh, <laughs> strong strong woman, get those knots out. 
you know, and usually it's fine afterwards. And I have woken up this morning feeling like I've been beaten up. I, it's I'm so sore, and I just right. yeah. So maybe it went too hard. So do you will there be like day two will be better? It's like you go because I've known people that have had really hard massages mm. and then they're in so much pain for 24 hours, but then like a couple of days later it's better, and they're like, oh, it's worth it. Uh, it's okay, like, well check in check in tomorrow and we'll see. But yeah, I was really I was like all I wanted was just to loosen me up, but it's, it's just it's me, injured you. I checked when I got dressed this morning. I looked in the mirror for bruises. Oh right, <laughs> so. Anyway, I'll still go back there. <laughs> what about the 45 minutes? Is that... You said it's short 45 yeah, minutes. That's I know. a long bloody it's time. Not sh- it's not short. I think it was short in my mind because it was impromptu. And I was like, oh, just pop in for a little, ooh, you know. Mm. If you get an hour, I feel like that's pure indulgence. But, you know. This... I mean, that is far too long. Not I'm, long enough. I'm spending half an hour. The first half hour, I'm just going, just relax. Just relax. Uh, Maybe for the, first, the last, there's five or ten minutes in an hour massage that I may enjoy. Wow, what about other things like like other pampering? You know, if you get a, can you get like a, do you like getting facials or whatever? Not really, no. All right. Um, geez, do you like, um, <laughs> what about like a bag of lollies? Can you get you that? Yeah, actually, I, yeah, I could go some lollies. <laughs> Hopefully, we have some lollies uh, on Sunday at the Community Cup. That'll get me going. Someone Pretty has sugar. messaged and recommended who they might have been, the company they may have been, so we'll see. What about the, what was the most hurtful? What, what point yesterday, Mon, were you like, Please stop. Yeah, uh, just the really. I I hate massages where they just like right like, just like do circular motions like wax on wax off on your back kind of thing. Mm, rub yeah. around. I'm like, oh, there's no thought to this. But but That's I, an ideal I, massage for me. Yeah, so I prefer it when. It, but this was really thummy, like digging oh. thumbs right up, right Who up at the base that? of my, base of my neck. <laughs> real yeah, real thummy boy, just getting in there. <laughs> <laughs> and usually that that's good, but it was. Sometimes if it comes from like a physio, they know exactly what they're doing yeah. and they say, but I was just like, Do you, is that are you? Yeah, I don't know what's going on. What about getting uh, chopped? I've never been chopped. <laughs> I think they children chop. They do it at the end, you know, when they kind of do that all over you. Yeah, back. yeah. And then, but that's sad because it means, you know, it's over. Oh, yeah. no, that is hell yes. <laughs> I got there. Thank God it's over. Oh, I my thought God. it's over when they're like, they're doing your toes and your fingies. <laughs> That's, that must be what happens when you get a 90-minute. I've never had a massage that long. But they, so it's well, the bottom run, of the barrel stuff. They've run out of space. They're yeah. like, oh. <laughs> 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 we do your ring touch. And it's like, I was like, this is, what is this? And I'm just like, I don't think my mother ever touched this. <laughs> this is a dormant <laughs> epidermis note. <laughs> I remember what, Will and I getting one together um, when we were travelling and, uh, like, they put you in the same, same room, you mm. know, a couple's massage. And afterwards he's like... Bit weird when they did your eyeballs. And oh, like, what? I was like, uh, what? He's like, you know, when they started <laughs> your eye. I was like, uh, that absolutely did not happen to me. He was getting his eyeballs pushed, pushed in, <laughs> like that's just gently pressing on his eye, <laughs> relieving the stress from the cornea or something. Yeah. Oh, he hasn't been out of sea straight oh. since. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and did he <laughs> did he explain like was it the circumference of the eye? Or? No, it was apparently it was like you know Pan's Labyrinth. There's that monster that's got the palms over the eyes. I don't know. I think it was gentle, but he was like, yeah, I feel like she ran out of things to do or she forgot what to what to. I don't know. I, I'd be slapping that hand away, <laughs> pushing my eyeball. Get get out of here. Yeah, I like the. Uh, do you ever? 
just, they still have the hole where you put your yeah, face yes. through. Otherwise, you just suffocate. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's lying on the massage table upside down, so his feet are in the hole. <laughs> Will's getting his eyeballs crushed. <laughs> or through the hole. Like, yeah, through the hole. That's what happened. Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website.